Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Carrie. And, and we're, we're Identical, Identical Twins. Twins. We are so excited to talk to you about all things related to church music here on Hymn Talk, Talk Twin, Twin Talk. Talk. Now each week we will break down a hymn. It could be an old favorite or it could be one you've never heard of. But it is our prayer that you will worship with us no matter what song it is. So let's get started here on Hymn Talk, Talk Twin Talk. Talk. Together we co-host a podcast called Hymn Talk, Talk Twin Talk. Talk. We just released our 66th episode, and each episode features a different hymn. Now, you might think we would run out of hymns, or you might think we would run out of people to talk to, but the list is seemingly endless. From our church alone, we have done and spoke about hymns requested by Barbara Bradley, Jill Pigeon, Emily Ryan, our parents, both of them, and two from the walls. Two from the walls. Plus, we've had special guests from this church appear on the episode, our mom, our dad, and Kelly's husband, Danny, who also sang, what, what, what number was that, episode 65? 65. 65, so go and listen to it. Because you, you can yet. hear it, Danny sing. Yep. Yep. And even our former pastor, who was here for many years before Pastor Joseph, Pastor Reed, he was on our 50th episode, a big kind of celebration, milestone episode. So take a listen to episode 50 if you haven't. And recently we just reached a podcasting milestone. We have 10,000 downloads. And this church, all of you have done so much to support our podcast. We are so, so very grateful. And it's always a treat to come here and be able to talk about things that we love so much. Our faith, our music, hymns, and maybe just a little bit about being twins. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So today is especially exciting because we get to talk about another one of our favorite things, Christmas. Mm -hmm. We get to talk about a beautiful hymn. We get to talk about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings who was born to save. And we get to talk about worship. Now when we say the words, the birth of Jesus, I'm sure many of you think right away to the Christmas story in Matthew. We heard it spoken about last week. And one of the ways to kind of celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus is by putting up a nativity set. How many have a nativity set in your homes? Right? Yeah. I actually thought there'd be more. We have one in the church that has been here for decades that's set up right here on the communion table in Advent. And usually it's one of my jobs as the director of worship to set it up and, you know, I put all the pieces in and I kind of decide where things are going and I usually keep the baby Jesus in the manger out, like I don't put him in till Christmas Eve and then I love that he's added there on Christmas Eve. Um, so now that we're talking about our church's nativity, Maybe it's time for a little confession. Should we confess something? Yes. Is maybe it now? People probably don't know this, but... And, and maybe don't tell anyone after we tell you. <laughs> but two years ago, we were here together, and our kids were here yes, too. Yes, the kids were here, if you we remember. Were, and we were setting up the nativity. We were getting everything ready for the Christmas service. And for some reason, the, the communion, the, the table was up here, and the nativity set was on it. Beautifully. And we wanted it... Yeah, beautiful. And we wanted it on the floor. So, I mean, like most sensical people, right? <laughs> you just pick up the communion table, table and, and just like very carefully, carefully bring, it down. bring it down. So we lifted it up just a little bit and everything came crashing down. Crashing. Crashing, crashing down. Um, there were some pieces that were shattered that, um, that could not be restored and are no longer with us. Right. And then some of the pieces had just minor damage so they were able to be repaired with some crazy glue. Thank, Thank you, Mr. Bill. He yeah. helped us out with that. So now, from afar, the nativity set looks great. So right. when you see it, you'll love it. But if you come up really close, 
You might see a missing nose. A missing hand. I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. Stay, so just stand back. Stay back. Stand, stand back. back. Um, so we, we both have nativity sets in our home. This is mine. Um, I have a picture of it for you. Um, this is my nativity set. It was actually gifted to me by longtime church members, Walter and Diane Hayden. And so every year when I take it out, I, I actually see the handwriting on the, on the box, and I just think fondly of them, and I thank them for giving this to me. And this is my nativity set. So every year my parents and Kelly would gift me with one piece of it. So I started off with just like, you know, Mary, Joseph, and yeah. Jesus. And, and now you can see I have quite the collection. And my daughter, Aria, takes such great care. She moves them around, she adjusts them, and she puts it exactly the way she imagines the scene should be. Mm -hmm. So displaying nativity sets is a Christmas tradition that has been around for about 800 years. We did a little bit of research and we read that St. Francis of Assisi created the very first nativity set in, in 1223. It said that he came up with the idea after he visited Bethlehem on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And he then recreated the scene in a special ceremony and mass that he organized inside of a cave in Greccio, Italy, inviting both his fellow friars and the townspeople to the celebration. Mm -hmm. He said this, I want to do something that will recall the memory of the child who was born in Bethlehem, to see with bodily eyes the inconveniences of his infancy, how he lay in the manger, and how the ox and ass stood by. So we've shown you our nativities, but we thought we'd show you a few others. Nativities, we wonder if you know how wrong they all are. They are not all historically accurate. Now first, the star wasn't over the manger that night. Second, we have no idea really which animals were there. And third, the angels were in the field singing to the shepherds. We don't have any scriptures that say the angels were there. And probably the biggest mistake of all these nativities, the, the wise, wise men, men were, were not, not there. there. 
They were not there the night Jesus was born. And furthermore, we have no idea how many there were. Now, we know the word magi is plural, so it would have to be more than two. And the scripture says that they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So people over the years came to the conclusion that there were probably three. Three wise men to hold the three gifts. But when you really think about it, the magi were probably traveling in some sort of caravan or entourage, and they had traveled many, many miles of distance. To have only three of them probably would have been a little bit unsafe. So we can come to the conclusion that there were probably more than three, which means I want more than three in my nativity. Mom, yes, Kelly, you you're going to buy we me some more. We have to get her more. More wise. Okay. Now, let's go to the scriptures. Let's go to the scriptures and see what the book of Matthew says. This is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The word of the Lord. How many of you studied this passage in your small group this week? How many of you studied the passage in your small group and followed the DBS format? Okay, so for those of you who don't know, many of our small groups gather the week before our service and they read and study the passage that we're going to be reading and learning about on Sunday. And we follow a format called Discovery Bible Series or DBS. And when we are studying a passage, we read the passage together, like just we just like we did, did, and then we repeat the passage in our own words. So that's what we'd like to demonstrate for you now. So following the DBS format, we're going to restate the passage in our own words. Right, to see if we're understanding it, to see if there's something that we're missing. Okay. Matthew 2, 1 through 12, in our own words. After Jesus was born, well, how long after? Uh, like a we month? Don't, we don't know that. We don't know that, and we've got to stick to the passage. We can't get distracted by these questions, Carrie. Okay. Okay. After Jesus was born, Herod was the king, and some guys who were really smart came from the east. 
Well, how far away from the east? Well, we don't really know. Okay. Could be Persia. You have to stay focused on the text. Yeah. But they went from the east to Jerusalem to visit whom? To visit King Herod. So they just walk into the palace mm -hmm. and they see the king and they ask him if he knows where the other king is. Right. He says, you know, we know you're the king, but we're looking for another king. We're looking for the king of the Jews. We saw his star and we want to worship him. We don't want to worship you. No. We want to worship this other king. Right. Okay. Okay. And we traveled all this way and we want to see him. So Herod did not like this. Right. He was troubled. He was upset. He was angry. So he gathered a bunch of smart religious men and he asked them where this Christ was supposed to be born. The Messiah. The, the one that the prophets wrote about. And these smart religious men told him that way back in the book of Micah, what we read this morning at the beginning of service, the prophecy said that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So Herod had heard enough. He secretly called the wise men back, the Magi, and asked them like when they saw the star, and he instructed them to go to Bethlehem, follow the star, and, and then, then come, come back, and tell him all about it so he could worship the child. So the wise men were off. They followed the star. They went from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and they arrived right where Jesus was. They were so happy, full of joy, they, they immediately, immediately worshipped him. And they gave him their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we don't know how long they stayed there, but they, we know they fell asleep. So maybe one night? At least one night. They were told in a dream to not go back to visit Herod. So they took another route and did not go through Jer Jerusalem. So, so there's our story. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And you probably have heard it before, but today we'll see it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it will bring us to a better understanding of who Jesus is and how we worship him. Now, we all know that worship can take many forms. We can sing, we can pray, we can raise our hands, we can bow down. But the word that Matthew uses a lot in his book for worship was proskuneo. This Greek word means worship, but it is very specific. Proskuneo is an ancient term for reverent adoration of a deity. The outward gesture would be to prostrate oneself, to fall down on the knees, touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. The word prostrate actually comes from the word proskuneo. We see it in verse 2 when the Magi speak to Herod. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Come and worship. We see it again in verse 4, this time by King Herod. He says, he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Come and worship. And then again in verse 11, when going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Do you recognize this tune? It is the chorus of a Christmas hymn, and the text of the hymn says, Come and worship 21, 21 times. The hymn writer knew the importance of worship, and this hymn, Angels from, from the, the realms, realms of, of glory is one of his most 
famous hymn. So let's hear about the hymn writer. His name is James Montgomery. He was born on November 4, 1771 in Irvine, Ayrshire, Scotland. His parents were missionaries, and when he was five years old, his parents felt the call to serve on the island of Barbados. They left young James behind in Scotland, and unfortunately, they were never to return. While serving in Barbados, both of his parents died. He was left alone, but he was taken care of by his home church. They made it possible for him to attend a seminary, but he ended up dropping out or, or being kicked, kicked out. out. I don't know. The brethren were not, not satisfied with, with his progress. So we read that he struggled as a teenager, as a young adult. So the church was still trying to support this young man. They sent him to apprentice to a baker, but he ran away. Then he secured a position in a chandler's shop, which was dealing with soaps, candles, and oils. But he left that job behind too. Then he moved all the way to London as he was looking for a publisher to maybe publish his poems, but that went nowhere. He finally eventually moved to Sheffield. It's about 160 miles away from London, and he ended up working for the town newspaper there called the, the Sheffield, Sheffield Register. Register. He finally found a job he liked, a job he was good at, and he worked there for 31 years. Mm -hmm. He was a gifted writer, and he was passionate about his beliefs. He was an outspoken advocate of many humanitarian causes and found himself imprisoned on more than one occasion for the things he wrote about. He wrote against slavery. He promoted democracy. He wrote against the exploitation of child labor. He was a fervent supporter of foreign missions in honor of his parents. And he championed the singing of hymns in the Anglican worship service. Now, at this time in England, the Methodists were singing hymns, encouraged by the Wesleys. The Lutherans were singing hymns, encouraged by Martin Luther. But the Church of England was a little behind the times. James Montgomery worked to change that by writing hymns. He was writing hymns that were theologically sound, singable, and beautiful. Angels from the Realms of Glory is one of those hymns. Now, he wrote the poem on Christmas Eve in 1816. He was studying the texts of Matthew and Luke, describing Jesus' birth, and he called this poem Nativity. Nativity. That's why we were talking about the Nativity so much. And he, he writes it. He published it the very next day, on Christmas Day, 1816. So this is Montgomery's version of the Nativity in song. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Yonder shines the 
Just leave your contemplations, brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations, ye have seen his natal star. Have Montgomery's version of the nativity story. He included all the people. The angels, the shepherds, and the wise men. In those three verses, we hear Matthew 1 and 2. But then, Montgomery invites us into the story. The saints of the faith, the believers who know Christ. Listen. Saints before the altar bending, Watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. what Montgomery did just there in that fourth verse? He switches the focus from the past to the future. Now many hymn writers did this and it is something that we do in worship. It is called ancient future worship. We try to remember the past but we also look forward to the future. We actually do this in communion each week. We remember the death of Christ and we look forward to his return. Listen to the words we hear when we receive communion from 1 Corinthians and hear that past and future. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We also read Paul's words again, this time in the book of 1 Thessalonians, telling the church at Thessalonica that Christ will return and we will be with him forever. forever. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So like Montgomery said, we are waiting for the Lord to descend and then we will be with him. And, and then, then we will worship him. Now, Montgomery's next verse is one that has actually been omitted in most hymnals. Most critics say that it's too much of a downer to be included in a Christmas hymn. Let's sing it for you, and you can be the judge of that. Sinners wrung with true repentance, doomed for guilt to endless pains. Justice now revokes 
the sentence mercy calls you break your chains really a surprise that Montgomery focuses this verse on justice and mercy as well as the image of broken chains. He used his newspaper to denounce the social evils of his day. He spent time in prison and while he was in prison he wrote poetry. Now we can't help but think of another man who spent lots of time in prison, unjustly prisoned, but while he was in there he was doing his writing. And that man is Paul. Paul. Now, Paul wrote the book of Colossians during his first imprisonment in Rome around 60 to 62 AD. He was writing to the faithful saints in Colossae, which is now modern-day Turkey. So this is from Colossians 1. Paul writes from prison. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So that original final verse that is now omitted in our hymnals, you might think it does seem to put a damper on our Christmas joy, but it's a great reminder that the nativity was more than just a sweet manger scene. This verse reminds us why Jesus came. He came to be the savior of the world. He came to take our punishment. The punishment for sin was death. And it is the punishment for, for all, all of, of us. But Jesus was born that night in a manger to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven. He came to reconcile us to God so, so that, that we could be free. This is the part of the Christmas story that actually does often get left out. But it's so important. It, it is, is the, the gospel. gospel. It is the good news. Jesus Christ, Christ is, is king. king. The wise men knew it. The wise men were called wise for a reason. They were learned men who spent their lives studying and reading. And part of their studies was definitely reading those Old Testament scriptures. When they saw the star, they knew who they were looking for. Now imagine Herod's surprise. He's the king. And the wise men come to see him, but they weren't there for him. They were there asking about another king. And we read in the scriptures that basically he panicked when he heard that. He called in his own learned people, his own scribes and priests, and he asked them, okay, tell me, where in the scriptures does, this, does it say this king will be born? But Herod knew enough about the messianic prophecies to know that this king was going to be a threat to him. This king would be the king, king of kings. all kings. Now, Montgomery has a sixth verse that isn't in our hymnal. And we're going to read it for you. Though an infant, now we view him, he, he shall fill his father's throne. Gather all the nations to him. Every knee shall then 
bow down. It's a shame this verse isn't included in our hymnal. Because Although, if all of these verses were included, it would be like an really, hour really long, long Really long. Yes, yeah. um, but we are seeing the full gospel story mm -hmm. here. It's not just the story of Jesus' birth. We started at the nativity. Angels, shepherds, shepherds, wise men. And then Montgomery shifted to include Christians, all of us, waiting for Jesus' return. Next, he included all sinners. That was the downer verse that we ended up really loving. And he's calling us to repent. And, and he's promising us his forgiveness. And in the verse we just read, he includes all, all nations. nations. Now, we know that missions was important to Montgomery. His parents devoted, gave their lives to missions, to sharing the gospel. And so when we read that verse about gathering the nations to worship, we have to think that Montgomery was thinking of the, the Great, Great Commission. Commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all, all nations, nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's Matthew 26, 19. We call it the Great Commission, to go to the nations to teach them about Jesus. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, mm -hmm. and that's what he says to us. We, we have, have to share, share the, good the good news. And when people come to know who Jesus is, Jesus the baby, Jesus our savior, Jesus, Jesus the, the king, king, they can't help but worship. And all, all creation, creation worships, worships him. him. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now Montgomery leads us right into verse 7, inviting all of creation to praise God. Let's sing it together. All creation Join in praising God the Father, Spirit, Son, evermore your voices raising to the eternal three in one. Come and worship, come and worship, isn't a view of heaven, then I don't know what is. All people gathering to worship our God. Listen to Revelations from the, book of, from the chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The nations gather, every tribe, 
every people, every language, all of creation gathers. And, and what, what do, they do they do? They, they worship. Looking back at the hymn, each verse is an invitation to worship. We heard the choir sing, come and worship, each time. Each time, each verse was an invitation to worship Jesus. Verse 1, we had angels, angels from the realms of glory. Then shepherds from their fields watching their sheep. Then verse 3 was the wise men following the star. Then saints waiting and watching. And then sinners repenting, asking for forgiveness. All nations gathering to bow down. Like that original word, proscuneo. And all of creation worshiping the one who sits on the throne. We worship the, the King, King of Kings. Let's stand together now and let's read from the screen Psalm 95, a great psalm of praise. Come, let, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. The psalmist invites us to worship the King. Montgomery invites us to worship the King. Together now, we're all going to sing the final verse. This is verse 8, if you've been counting, of angels from the realms of glory. This is a great verse of praise to God, and actually it, is, it fully encapsulates praising God, that it sometimes stands on its own and is used as a doxology. This is verse 8, praising God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and instead in this verse of singing come and worship, we sing those words of highest praise, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's sing together. Lord of heaven, we May God bless you. May God bless you as you leave this place. May you go and worship just as you have come to worship, praising God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 You may go.